cheddar eco-fuel to our hybrid vehicle of conversation. It is the bonus episode. I don't know how to start this. Bonus! <laughs> it's a fucking bonus episode. Welcome back to How Not To Be An Asshole. This is how I speak on the bonus episode, like a um, horse racing <laughs> announcer. Welcome back, welcome back. we got questions, we got answers, we got all sorts of things. Dan's here, Dan's here. Hello, Dan. <laughs> the thing that the listeners don't know about Dan is that his... Um, Name oh, on shit, um, Zoom is machine, but spelt with an S. Mm. And it kind of makes him kind of menacing, especially when it pops up before his face does. It just says machine is here. And you're like, oh, well, he fuck. Left out the he left out the pre thing, the sex machine. <laughs> East European sex machine. Yeah, can you change it to sex machine and your background to uh, lots of oiled up, like kind of male strippers? I think I that's the kind of thing. I changed it the first time and now it's back to machine. Oh well. Have I told you about? Uh, have I told you guys about my dalliances with the male strip stripper troupe um, in Brisbane? No. And then I, I reconnected with them in Melbourne. <laughs> Pray tell. <laughs> oh well, so I, so my friend was working at the Sexpo, so I went up to hang out with her in Brisbane, and there's this um, uh, stripper group, and they're called the Magic Men. Yeah. And I would purposefully refer to them to their faces as the magic boys yeah <laughs> and um and i asked them for a photo and i got a photo and i wrote a poem about them with the photo and like they would have all seen it and i was calling them the magic boys and shit and just it was hilarious and then and a couple of them actually turned out to be really nice guys and i saw one in melbourne at the sex book, like a few months later and he was like real happy to see me Aww. and i felt Kind of bad that I'd made fun of them publicly, but well, maybe he maybe he liked the poem. Yeah, maybe he'd like your Channing Tatum poem as yeah. well. Is he is he that kind of is that kind of chap? Hmm. He they all had funny nicknames. What was his? It's like, um, like what's what's some tough sounding fuel or something? Nitro some shit like that. Yeah, some shit like that. It was real good. <laughs> is nitro fuel incredible. then? Don't think so. It's a gladiator. Fuck, you're the fucking um, car driver. I drive a fucking Prius. Oh, I don't, like I calm down. Anyway, the reason why we're having this is because we're going to start having bonus episodes. Um, obviously, because you're listening, we're going to put the first one. It's going to be free for everybody. But then after that, we're putting it behind the paywall. Um, Under lock and key. Yeah. So that it's Unless just for the very special patrons who we love. We love the re- we love the rest of you too, but we love the patrons yeah. just a little bit more. And it's like you know when people have children and they say, like we love all our children the same, but you know that they don't, and it's obvious. That's how we are for the yeah. patrons. We don't want well, any of you to die. We'll feed and clothe you, but we don't love you the same. Kind of how like libertarians say, um, if I passed a child in the street. I w- and it was drowning. I wouldn't let it drown, but I don't want um, uh, the to government to do. For I don't want the government to do social <laughs> social programs because uh, that's too much. Um, yeah. So if you want to become a patron, it's patreon.com H N whatever the initials of our podcast are. And you can go to our website, or Dan posts it in the link of these things. It's yeah. probably easier than trying to spell out. Websites and so it's like it's fucking 1997. Let me just do some math because I fucking flunked my math uh, quiz the other episode. So for one US dollar a month, you can sign up to the Patreon. And 
which means if we're gonna we're not sure how much bonus content we're gonna deliver but there's gonna be a bit at least every couple of weeks so that means this is a 50 cent fucking episode at at the most how's that what do you guys think about that the fuck are you talking about i thought you got really good at um maths in prison um yeah they give you a little abac- abacus to take on yourself <laughs> Because only only lifers can get computers, so if you're just doing a short stay, you get an abacus. You can play with that, fuck around, um, figure out how what your drug debts are. Uh, You'd like an abacus, then? Like. <laughs> Would I? Yeah, you got an abacus mm. vibe about you. Anyway, let's get into these fucking <laughs> questions. All right. Um, I'm sure I had some. I will get into. There's it's been a big. Okay, what well, you got? Too, you got some other. You got some, something else to say? Oh, a guy tried to. Um, Staunched me out at the mall yesterday Really? What kind of guy was he? So I think he was older than me But people around my age all look older than me So I can't tell (laughs) But he was big too And he was with like an even bigger doofus friend And I was looking for the entrance of the shop So you know when you're looking for something And your body language is kind of like You know you're peering around corners and shit I was doing that Doing that in the mall and then my back was turned to him and he called out and it didn't sound aggressive. And I turned around and he was like, you all right? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. What's up? And he's like, you were looking at me. And I was like, was I? And he's like, yeah, you all right? I was like, yeah, great, thank you. And turn around. And then like 10 minutes later, I got real angry because I was like, fuck you, you old fuck standing in the mall trying to be tough to like just people <laughs> minding their business. But... I didn't see him again. Plus, I can't fight people in public. What? But <laughs> man, you've changed. That guy, that guy got off. That like guy got off. So that guy was lucky. Mm. Nah, nah. The Todd seven to. years ago. <sighs> yeah, I would have fucking hit that guy. All right. So <laughs> I, I, I got a, I got a similar story, but it's actually the opposite yeah. of that story. I was you walking the dog. someone out <laughs> in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, imagine someone being intimidated by me No, um, I was at the park with the dog And these three um, people were like walking up behind me And it was like dusk So I couldn't really see them properly And yeah. I was like And sometimes people go down the park And they do burnouts or whatever And I was like, oh, fuck what's, what's happening here? And then they um, And so I stopped And I was just like staring at them And then they were sort of staring at me Like, why is this guy staring at me? And then they got a frisbee out And started playing frisbee And I was like, oh that's right. I live in a really nice middle-class suburb. Dom Dom doesn't look intimidating or physically imposing, but back in the day, he actually scared a couple of um, rappers or rap people in the industry. Did I? Yeah, there was an incident with the hat, and then there was that tough guy rapper from the South Island that we the first time we all met him, you're like, why do you rap like you're tough? And he I just mean, like was, remember that at all? <laughs> oh, don't you? <laughs> Both funny situations. I won't name the people. But, so, let's kick off this bonus episode. Uh, thank you so much for your questions. And, man, the questions are fucking good. They are good. I was surprised. Not that, not, yeah. there's no judgment on our listeners. It's just... It's a judgment on us, right? We don't expect to have very, like, you know, intelligible, eloquent, uh, well-informed... Because you're, listen- you're listening to you're listening to us, so you know, um, it's very flattering that our listeners are of such a fucking excellent standard when it comes to writing great stock. 
beautiful stock. So, let's begin. You're um, a good stock, Dan. Good Nelson stock. Dan. Oh, yeah, and we're going to fucking butcher your names. Like, I'm doing it, which is preferable to Dom reading your names, but yeah, it's, st- it's still going to it's still gonna be fucking bad, I'm afraid. So, apologies in advance. From the Patreon, Bryn Lau- Llewellyn, I think. Question for the podcast. First of all, thanks for the podcast. It's allowed me to hear from different voices and perspectives outside of my semi-privileged bubble and made me think I can live and contribute more positively within my community. My question is, can you describe in your own words and perspective what neoliberalism is and how it affects us in New Zealand? Cheers. Okay, so neoliberalism um, is basically... Um, the belief in the free market so that the market, um, we should let the market decide, you know, um, if you remove as much, um, if you sort of privatise everything, if you remove as much protections um, as possible, gut the welfare system, then the market will sort everything out. Um, Let the rich get as rich as possible and the money will trickle down to the poor um, and everyone will be happy and everything will be amazing. Which is proven... Trickle down economics has proven not to work, right? Well, I mean, I well think our country is a really great example of that not working. <laughs> yeah, um, I think another good example of neoliberalism, like a specific, easy to grasp example, is American healthcare, right? Yeah, where it's all all privatized and it's a fucking mess. And if you don't have a job with healthcare or lots of money and you get sick you're likely to be in heaps of trouble or you might fucking die. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking yeah, no, of I'm, dying. I'm not feeling too well at the moment. I hope it's not the COVID. Um, but what, <laughs> one, one way I was told, to, like I was taught to me, was that basically, you know, it sees um, the citizens as consumers. Um, and, and I think something that really important to take into account with it is that um, it's all about individualism. So just say if... Um, you know, me and Dan, we're both, just say we were both born in Auckland, but um, Dan does really well and I do really poorly, um, even though Dan had, you know, got went to King's and he got, um, his parents paid for everything for him and I didn't have any of that, but that's my fault, not, you know, and, and he's and he's a genius. That You know, it sort of looks at it that way I mean, and ignores all the sort of systematic, like, advantages and oppression that comes from living in the system that we live in. Yeah, well, it, it kind of completely rides on an imagined notion that equal opportunity exists in the world mm. we live in, right? Well, and it, well the system and perpetuates if inequality, so it's sort of like it's a, it's a self-perpetuating system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in order to defend it, people will make bad faith arguments, so they will say, oh, but this black guy is successful, or... You know, this person from a minority came up from poverty and achieved great things. And it's like, yeah, that's an incredible example of someone rising above adversity. But it's like that Mitch Hedberg joke where he says, um, how come on the billboard for the casino, it's a guy always winning the money. And that's not what usually happens. (coughs) Rest in peace, Mitch Hedberg. What about... (laughs) So the second part of the question... What are, how does it affect us in New Zealand? So I think... So, yeah, so we were really early adopters of it. Um, so you edited out the last bit I did, Dan, so I'm not just repeating myself here. But um, 
So yeah, we were early adopters of it, um, and we really, under Rogernomics, under the Longy government, we really brought into it wholesale. And so we sold off and privatized, you know, we privatized um, massive amounts of the country. And, and so what that meant was that, you know, initially you, we got millions and millions of dollars, but then, you know, you're, you're selling the way that you're making money, so there's no more income coming in. Um, they gutted the welfare system, um, uh, just underfunded the healthcare system, the education system. And so all these things that we're seeing now um, began then, you know, back in, I think it was, I want to say 85, 86, but I could be wrong. Um, but around that time period that it started. And what's interesting is that if you're sort of like 35 or under, I mean, you, you've grown up under neoliberalism. And I mean, obviously I was like eight or nine when it happened, so I can't really remember what it was like before that. But um, yeah, just the idea that the sort of individual you know, that individualism is great and all of that, all of that nonsense that I'm sure that plenty of our listeners yeah. know is bullshit. Yeah. So f for like visceral examples of the effects for me, uh, usually all a lot were from my upbringing, but working with young people. And so when I was working in, in a youth justice, not a youth justice residence, but uh, a residence where all our clients were from youth justice. Common dom denominator between all of the young people who came through was poverty. Mm. And uh, neoliberalism prevents social mobility. And so you'd meet these young people from poverty, you'd meet their parents. If you met their grandparents, it was generational poverty that... Uh, was just a cycle and just kept continuing and repeating and due to the the non-existence of social mobility these things just keep perpetuating and getting worse and uh, nothing changes. And then you compound racism on top of that and misogyny and, and the systematic racism and systematic misogyny and all these other systematic oppressions and it just does end up in a situation where yeah, you're in a country, increasingly in a country where, yeah, where people can't escape the social class they were born into, um, and I think, and I think something another another argument too is like because some people, you know, just say if you're like, I think especially if you're in a situation where, you know, your parents are, are quite well off and and maybe you're you're doing okay and and everyone you know is doing okay and it can seem kind of quite sur surreal. It can seem like well, I don't, you know, maybe I do I even live in that kind of country or are these guys just talking shit. Um, but there's been a lot of research done. Um, I remember going to a lecture about it about 10 years ago and they were talking about that in countries that are unequal, even the wealthiest people do worse than in countries where it's more equal than the poor people in those countries. So um, on all metrics, so whether that's healthcare, whether that's overall general happiness, whether that's mental health, whether that, whatever, education, you know what I mean? Inequality drags everybody down. And so um, even if you're not someone, and I'm sure most of our listeners, or all of them probably are people that have a heart, but even if you're not someone, even from just a pragmatic um, point of view, it, it, neoliberalism just, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't serve anyone apart from the sort of ultra rich. And even then, like, all, I mean, you met a happy rich person, you know? Yeah. What's, do you know what that theory is called, Dom, about like the value of a dollar and how it changes... Uh, with each dollar you gain, there's a name for it. I'll never remember it. No. But 
This but is the so problem with getting a couple of, f- of fucking high school dropouts to describe a fucking <laughs> yeah, political yeah. system to you. <laughs> I, I can I can I can explain the theory though. Oh, it's pretty straightforward, right? The richer you get, the lesser dollar uh, is is of value to you. Mm. So, um, and the neoliberalism and the, with the rich getting richer, they put money away. Poor people get extra dollars. They spend it. It boosts the economy. So. In order for for economic growth, the the have-nots need to have more, and that promotes more economic growth. Rich people just getting really ridiculously rich doesn't promote as much economic growth as poorer people having the money. Hard out. But yeah, so hopefully that <laughs> explained it in a really roundabout, rambly way. But um, I think I think oh, oh, no, you've got, you got, got some point, more. Though here we go, we're back. Another yeah, sorry, no, good. but just another. Another good point to get through. So neoliberalism, capitalism promotes the idea that the objective of our lives is to gain material things and money, and promotes individualism. And think about what makes you happy. Mm. Like I like fucking shoes and shit, but nothing feels as good as community. Nothing is is as fulfilling or joyful or special as community and the more we are pulled towards individualism the more we lose community and the less happy people well, are. that's why loneliness is so rife you know i mean public space mm. there's a i mean i actually know i guess we could potentially get on to talk about that idea that public space has just been completely destroyed and so there's nowhere you can go in public and just be without it being you know around money and and commerce and um and what that does to people psychologically um mm. Yeah, but I mean, I think if if you're if you're interested in this, um, I'm just trying to think who's who's a good person to read about this specifically. Can't think of anyone now, but I'll give actually I know a good Guardian article. I'll give to Dan. Dan, can you make a note of that because I'm going to forget. Um, but I'll give to Dan. It's um, it was it was a couple it's a couple years old now, but you know it's not like we're not living under the exact same fucking system, so it's still just as relevant. And um, yeah, nice. Um, before we move on, mm-hmm. uh, and thank you, Bryn. Thank you, Bryn. Sorry, was that Bryn? Um, before we up. move on to You're the next question. Todd. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what's up with my fucking Wi-Fi and shit. Before we move on to the next question, today, it's a momentous day for um, my podcasting journey, as I like to call it, <laughs> um, <laughs> because... I actually submitted a question to a podcast I su- subscribed to and they read it on the air today. Yeah. Which podcast? Yeah, yeah. Co-main event. Well, did he read which, which was your question? I just listened to that episode. They say Todd. Yeah, well, fuck near, it, right you. <laughs> yeah, right, right near the end. I've submitted two um, questions to them and they haven't read either of them. Yeah, because your questions are shit. Um, so, but you know what happened? It was real weird. I was driving my car and it was right near the end of the episode. I knew it. And then they're like, next, next question comes from Todd. And I was like, and I got this weird feeling of like nervousness and shit. Made me feel What was your question? Up. It was about the um, people, how everyone a few months ago was saying they should have open scoring. Oh, for yeah, judges. that was a good question. Anyway, this thank you. This got down right. a UFC rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wrote that question myself. All right. Uh, next question comes from Adam Norton. Loving the podcast, guys. Really appreciate the banter and the serious and factual discussions you have with guests. It's nice to hear other people share their honest opinion without the advertisers and bosses controlling your lips. Yeah, no bosses here. Dan's a bit bossy sometimes. Would, 
Yeah, yeah, it's a little false. Would like to know. <laughs> would like to know more about your past, the recording careers. Also, who would you want to collaborate or share a beer with, dead or alive? Holy. Sure, Adam. Do you want to hit that, Dom? Um, past. I've I've got I've, I've got my collaborators and drinkers. Have you you just fucking got this all sorted out already? Yeah, I, d- I made some oh, notes. Jeez, you're bad here. Right, you go and I'll yeah, think of well, someone. Yeah, so take a second. Collaborate. Um, it's someone I've already collaborated with because I'm a fucking weirdo and I don't really like making music with people. But, um, and I wanted to do it a few years ago. It'll never happen now, but I would like Mazwetu to produce a whole um, project for me because I haven't really ever worked with anyone. You collaborate dead or alive. With- and you choose Mazwetu. Like, no offense to Mazwetu, he's amazing, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know, like, I, I know it might be a bit of a bummer for people, mm. but yeah. Mazwetu, because he, he got me to do some shit I didn't think I could do, and I feel like he would make a good project with me. And person I'd have a drink with was um, is Senator Bernie Sanders, because I'm fucking besotted with him. Just before COVID hit, I'd lined up, I was getting a Bernie Sanders tattoo. Mm-hmm. I was going to get a ma- machine gun on my kneecap and it was going to say protect Bernard around it. Um, and then everything <coughs> went to shit. You could still get it. Um, yeah, I, I will still I, get the it. The two people I'm thinking of, I don't know how to pronounce their names, so I'm just going to butcher them. <laughs> but collaborating, um, I guess one of my... Um, oh, actually, no, I'll, switch, I'll, ch- I'll change it to someone whose name I can't actually pronounce. Um, would yeah, be good. Laurie Anderson, who's... Uh, um, Kind of a performance poet, I guess, but like also a performance artist. Um, if you don't know her work, you should check it out. So she did a song called Oh Superman back in the 80s. And it's a pretty fucking weird song. And um, I read this interview with her where she's like, I made 500 records and they sold. So I made another 500 and then they sold and I made another 500 and they sold. And she's like, so I had to keep making records. And then it in- ended up selling like, I think like six million or something. And so obviously eventually she got on a record label and it, ended up, it was number one. It's, people might know it used to be the um, the song in the car crash ad, the oh, 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 and the person goes through the windscreen. Oh, yeah. yeah, so that, that's Laurie Anderson, cool. but she does heaps of amazing stuff. I really recommend uh, checking her out. It makes a lot of sense that that song was um, made by a performance artist. You know who I think is super inspired by that with their first EP? Who's that? FKA Twigs. Mm. That's a good point, actually. She... Well, yeah. do you know that, that rapper that you were talking to in the States ages ago, he samples that song. Who are you talking about? I don't know. Some rapper. He he, he was kind of a, he didn't really blow up, but he was like dope. Ah, uh, Grand Marshall? Maybe. Anyway, um, this, is my, yeah. this, is, this is about me, not Grand Marshall. Yeah. Um, yeah, who would I have a beer with? Um, I'd probably need a translator because I think he only speaks French, but he's dead now, but would be... Um, and this is the name I'm going to butcher. I'm um, Guy Debord, who was the leader of the Situationists, who were a political group in the 50s and 60s in France, and they um, believed that that the sort of only way you can sort of um, exist with any kind of like freedom or create with any freedom within capitalism was sort of in between the cracks of the spectacle that we sort of we all live under this great spectacle that's constantly distracting us and filling our minds with bullshit. Um, and there's a really Yeah, really simple way of putting it But you should check out his work as well um, But he's a fucking maniac And um, incredible artist And just inf- like so much art that I'm into 
um, was directly influenced by him. We should do an episode on the Situationists. I'd love yeah, that. Um, I'd a lot of lot of work, but worth. Yeah, it could call my dad, and he knows a bit about them. Ah, oh, sick. Hey, so what about the beginning of the question? This is a lot of shit, though. Like, but, but um, what was the pa- our past? Would like to know more about your past and your recording careers. I don't know, yeah, I don't. I mean, I think we talk about our past a lot, but yeah, and there's there's potential for for a project we've got a minor podcast project that might cover a lot mm. of that but in short for me i was born you're going back um, to when you're born <laughs> yeah that's where you, a lot of people don't know this but that's pretty much where life starts for most people um i don't know grew up was naughty went to jail got out of jail needed something in my life that wasn't fighting and doing drugs and crime uh, I'd always like rap, made some rap songs, moved to Auckland, met Dom, met Jared, and here we are. Yeah. 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 Sorry that, sorry that was a f- so unenthralling answer. <laughs> All right, what's the next question? <laughs> next question. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into, yeah. like, you'll hear bits about our life as we fucking get through this Just, shit. Yeah. Uh, Next question is from Voy. Hi guys, I got a couple questions for Todd for the bonus oh, episode. La-di-da. Yeah, later, later, Dom. Um, fuck, she's gonna regret that after my last answer, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to know more about the song by Cancer Drip. I think it's a masterpiece. Is there a backstory to the song or the album? I always find myself coming back to it. The same was still off the PGT GR, GGR album. Thanks again for bringing the podcast back. Best surprise of 2020. Cheers. Well, yeah, it's definitely better than um, a pandemic surprise, I guess. But um, so the drip song was that's written by our friend Jay Rocher. I can't really. I'm just take messaging any Jay Rocher right now. Ah, telling people still like drip. Yeah, Jay. Um, yeah, I wish I could take credit for that song because I think it's really fucking good as well. But Jay wrote the hook and sent it to me with a hook and a verse and then I added my shit and then it was a song. And I guess backstory for Cancer, it was kind of funny actually, is when I first heard Jay rapping coming out of Christchurch, I was like quite aggy about him and his friends because they were kind of like doing the scumbag rap shit that me and my friends, I thought, were the first in New Zealand to do it. So I don't really like them. And then just at some point I had to fucking admit that he was better than me and that I liked his <laughs> shit. And, um, yeah, and I asked him if he wanted to make an album with me and we kind of started one. If it had come out at the time it was supposed to, I think it, I don't know what would have happened, you never know, but I feel like it might have been kind of, I don't know, a little bit groundbreaking or something for the time, especially for New Zealand. And But we're both real fucking useless, so it didn't, and then we kind of, threw all the pieces together years later and put it out. Um, the the song still, I've tried to write that song, I think about 10 times. And basically the concept is just like, uh, this person you love in a world that's decaying and uh, that world without them still decaying is like a real kind of sad romantic idea. And and I thought I'd done a pretty good job of writing that song. And then I heard that fucking kid, Corbin, who was like 18, 
put out a song called Hunker Town, and it's like the same concept, and he just fucking killed it way better than I ever could have. So <laughs> that was a fucking bummer. Right, welcome back, Dom. Welcome back, Dan. Sweet. Had my moment in the sun. Next question from the patron, Hannah. Hey, really appreciate the answers and the article. Oh, Hannah sent us that. Uh, oh, wait, no. She sent us the question about the, the apps, the COVID tracing apps. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, I just finished the series and have more questions. By series, does she mean all the podcasts? I don't know. You have to ask Hannah that. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Hannah. <laughs> Chill out. That's too much. Um, too much what piece of wisdom? Yeah. What piece of wisdom has a guest <laughs> left that affected you or your perspective? I'm still reeling. Bread's not good for you. Uh, <laughs> next question. Is, head, is Headspace still the go-to for some for learning meditation? Also, the episode with Jared Abbott was amazing. If you have more stories, more more weird intros. Yes, thank you. Catch up. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. So, Dom, guess who imparted the most wisdom on you? Probably Emery Douglas, I guess. I mean, obviously uh, meeting fuck yeah. a fucking um, member of the Black Panthers. It's pretty incredible. It's not something I ever thought would happen in my life. Um, but who else do we have? I mean, we had heaps of insightful people, you know, and um, I think it's not always necessarily someone you talk to who's, you know, you would necessarily consider wise, but you, you talk to someone for an hour and you, you, I think you often, you often learn from people, you know. Um, you know who's really insightful um, is Manu from Eno and Dirty. Like mm, um, mm. I can't really remember our podcast with him, but I, he came and did some work at Atafai with us, and I remember he always just he has this way, understated way of just saying something. You're like, "Fuck, you just really nailed it on the head." Yeah, and you know he's he's quite young, and so like I, I go around and hang with his crew and shit, and they're all young. And you know when you're partying and you're young and you're just like wilding out. Yeah. But so I'd always kind of like or often end up in conversations with him because he's such a insightful and good conversationalist mm. and he's down to have like a talk about like big ideas and concepts and that sort of shit yeah real real interesting dude i was gonna say emery as well and i think it's hard to go past him because he like the reason well one of the reasons i found him so inspiring was he was an old man like you could tell like his body was starting to break down right mm. and um he was still traveling the world like spreading a message and like fighting for the things he believed in and i was just like holy fuck and the other thing was he had every excuse to just like trail off and like live a quiet life like his friends got murdered by the, by their own government mm. and the fact that he was still so resistant to power and um vocal and just kind of like a powerful presence wherever he went was fucking real inspiring yeah hard i mean i'm sure there's heaps of other people i can't to be honest i can't fucking remember i can barely remember what happened last week so mm. yeah like we love all the guests but it's kind of in one ear out the other well i mean i'm sure if you asked me that question four years ago i would have had some answers <laughs> did you have a guest dan 
who who you felt imparted some wisdom into your Apart life? Apart from me, Farrier's fucking tickling story that he told us off air was fucking wild. Who did? Remember that? Ah, oh. who's David Farrier? Oh uh, yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting one. If people go back and listen to the episode where we had David Farrier on, his tickling movie wasn't out yet, so he couldn't like really divulge where the movie like cornered to. Yeah, that's right. And. S- and so we're sat there talking to him about it, and it was real interesting. And then we went to the premiere, and just like, because it kind of switches real quickly, eh? Like in the first twenty minutes or something. Mm. And I, I thought I knew what it was about, and then when it turns, I was like, "Holy fuck! What the <laughs> fuck is going on here? This is insanity." So good. Um, still got a friend trap, David Ferrer. Dom's working on it. Uh, <laughs> Headspace meditation app. Yeah, it's what I still use. Um, I would do some research. I'm sure there's some others. Um, I know that Christina is um, working on some meditations, which are really beautiful and have music and stuff. Um, so I'll try and have an update with that. Um, the other thing that I guess I'd recommend once we get out of COVID, if you're serious about meditation, would be to go and do a Vipassana retreat. So that's the 10-day retreat where you don't talk and you just meditate all day. It's really difficult. Never. But I think what's good about it is it really shows you how far you can take your mind and and um, how how you know all, all suffering, whether that's anxiety or depression and stuff, is just transient. For, for most people, you know, obviously you can't speak for everyone, but I think in general it, it does. Um, but yeah, yeah, I still yeah. use Headspace. I think it's good. It's simple, um, and it keeps you it keeps you on task. You know, it reminds you to meditate, obviously, and. Um, you can be like, shit, I'm just going to do my 15 minutes now. Whereas when I was doing it by myself and timing it myself, it was, yeah, it's, it's easier to sort of trick yourself that you'd done it when you hadn't or whatever. I got a free lifetime sub to Headspace. Did you? I'm fucking paying I, for it. Yeah, I lost it though. Yeah. Do you like the guy's voice? I've had people tell me they don't like his voice. I'm indifferent. There's, there's really... a woman's voice too. I haven't ever checked it out. Maybe I should switch it up. Mm. I really like the guy because he just kind of sounds like he doesn't sound like some fucking guru or some bullshit. He just sounds like a normal as do British guy. Just a rich monk. He's like, you're right, mate. You want to do a little? You want to do some breathing? <laughs> <laughs> he sounds nothing like that. Um, was that was maybe that we was could do a guided meditation on the next podcast? Oh fuck yeah! If you want to, yeah, I'm hard not. out. Um, Jared Abbott, we could have some Jared Abbott co- content coming soon. Yeah, we've got soon. Jared Abbott content um, coming, don't you worry. More lies. Out the wazoo. It's not fucking lies. <laughs> oh, you guys want to see what you mean, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I used Headspace when I was having my boxing match and I'd, I'd use it every day before I trained and I fucking loved it, but I haven't really used it since. So you can tell I'm a ball of stress. Yeah, I, was med- I, was, I did a lot of meditation before when I was doing my play before I went on stage and it really helped. Mm. Fuck yeah Like I did I was like I think I've said it before But I was super sceptical And then Any Because I found myself In a lot of situations now Like I had to fucking Give an hour talk With my brother At a university last year And That's super nerve wracking For me So I find myself When I'm getting nervous I'll count my breaths And do shit that I've learned From meditation And it helps heaps So There you fucking go Alright Kate From the patron Love the podcast, you guys. So nice to hear from such a range of talented and passionate people. I think she means the guests. <laughs> it, w- 
It would be cool to hear more about your work with youth. You must hear some awful things and deal with people from really hard backgrounds. How, do, how does that affect you? How do you deal with it? How did you get into it? Big Dombey. Um, so I got into it. I was, um, so I have an autoimmune disease and I was, had to come back from Australia. I was in Australia. I was saving up to move to Europe um, to go write a book. And then I got sick and I had to come home. And so I was basically in bed for a year. And um, I just happened to see this Facebook post that someone did that was talking about working with youth and it's something I always wanted to do and I hit them up and they hired me, which is just crazy looking back on it because they had no fucking experience. Um, so I started working for the, this organisation called Narangatahi Tor, um, and which was where I learnt how to be a youth worker. Um, it, it's funny It's funny thinking about this, Dom, because I remember at the time, I hadn't thought about this, but I remember thinking, I was like, I don't think Dom can be a youth worker. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they were looking for mentors and I said that they should hire Todd and I got Todd to come and surprisingly he turned up on time and um, kept on turning up because at that time Todd was quite useless and I was really going out on a limb. But I thought that I had enough, I'd worked up enough good um, will that even if he fucked it up, I'd be all right. I'm so fucking punctual. I resent that. You might be punctual, but quite often you just don't turn up. And then you, oh, yeah, and then you, like, then you get indignant, like get indignant because you fucking like, where were you? Yeah, that's that's for personal engagements, um, not business. I love a bit of business. But I think um, that um, I've heard is mean. Like, I don't know. Like as far as like sort of, you know, hearing depressing shit from people. I mean, I think you hear it just as much inspiring things, and I think it's. You know, obviously yeah. people are living hard lives and stuff, but, um, you know, you also get to meet all these kids who are just insanely um, talented and um, smart and, and you can help them to realise those talents and, and let them know that those talents are um, special and that they are special, you know, because um, oftentimes they haven't been told that and they don't realise that being able to do the things that they can do is is unique and, and interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the resilience and strength in young people coming from tough backgrounds is so fucking beautiful. And like, so everything you do, all the like rough shit, all the awful shit you find out, the sadness and pain and all that is kind of like, it's surrounded by that beauty, like the, the strength and character of human spirit and that's like super inspiring. And I think if you lost sight of that, then you probably shouldn't be doing that work anymore. Because mm. if, you, if you're not noticing that anymore, and I, I don't know how you couldn't, couldn't not notice it, it's so abundant and like clear when you're working with young people. So it's like a lot of people who haven't been close to the work will often say, oh, I don't know how you do that, it must be so sad. And it's like, yeah, like occasionally it can be really tough and emotionally draining and sad and all those things. But for the most part, it's like an incredible privilege. And you kind of like each opportunity you get to kind of be with young people. And it's like any job, sometimes you're on your way and you're like, oh man, I can't be fucked today. I don't have the energy. <laughs> And then you get there and you fucking see the little cunts yeah. and you're just like, man, you guys are like, they're incredible. Like they're so fucking incredible. So 
yeah, many but, times I'm I'm thinking I can't do today, and I'll get there, and like they they kind of give you the energy you need. It's funny too because like I mean when I started doing it and someone was like yeah man the young people are going to teach you as much as you're going to teach them I was like get the fuck out of here <laughs> but it's so true you know um, yeah. yeah like I've learned so much and I think for me it's like um, I think it's helped me to overcome a lot of my past trauma because um, you know like these kids have oftentimes have quite different lives than I did growing up but I guess when I was growing up there was a lot of violence and a lot of craziness. And so I guess through being able to help other people through that, you kind of like heal yourself, um, which has ah. been really, really amazing. Yeah, to a, to a fucking great deal, man. Like working with young people has made me a f- like a, a person far better than I could have imagined. Oh, hard. Like just five. It's funny eh, when you see ago. people you haven't seen for ages and you're like, man, you're real different. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, remember remember the first time I came back from Taranaki and I think I saw you and Chrissy? Yeah. And I was just like loving my work in a real good place with it. And I think you guys commented on just like how I seemed. Mm. Like my well-being was like, evident to people that knew me well. Um, but I think a big part of that is not just working with young people but it's also being able to help people and have a job that's fucking meaningful. And I think that's the yeah. other thing, because, you know, like you can um, have a job where you get paid a bunch and all of that, but if it's fucking pointless, it's just it eats at your soul, you know? Yeah, fuck yeah. So I, And like lots of people, I guess, ask me often too, how do you get into it? And I guess like for Dom and I, both our, our experiences were pretty fortunate where we kind of came in and we didn't, start with a big institution that has its follies as well but i think yeah a good way is to find an organization you like try and try and suss it out a bit and but just offer some services Mm. to them see if you can help out and if you're good at it they will like they'll find a way to fit you in if you're really good you have a heart for it i I think the other But yeah, and then another thing people often will say to me is like, I'd love to do that, but I don't think I have the relevant life experience or whatever. And so, sure, like some some commonality between you and the young people you work with can help, but that you don't need that at all. Mm, like a, will, a, willing, a willingness or a natural uh, desire to understand people is just a just as good as understanding them because as much as you might understand someone's situation it's still their unique individual situation it's not yours so in the work you're not being like yeah man i i get it i know you're fucking never doing that because that's fucking patronizing bullshit Mm. so like it can be helpful it can be a tool but like you don't need to have fucking lived the same life as the people you want to work with some of the best mentors like obviously you know like i think me and todd's upbringings have helped us to be good mentors because you do kind of understand certain behaviors and especially when people are actually being unreasonable you're like i know why you're doing that because i was like that at your age or fuck i'm all like that now sometimes but um also like having someone like we had one mentor who's from like her family of like proper millionaires and she just didn't so she had that real carefree chill way about her and the kid and she would connect with the kids on a completely different way as well because you know yeah. she was just so loving and giving because she didn't have all that fucking wasn't carrying all that weight as well so i think that yeah it can yeah. be i think the biggest thing is just leaving your ego at the door and i think obviously that's hard for all of us but um that's a 
this yeah you know like you i mean we we all know people right that have done that job and they can't do that and it's just a fucking mm. big mess yeah it's a fucking nightmare um i had another important point about oh, this but it totally slips Damn, my mind make a note of that todd's got a point he's forgotten yeah i'll put it we'll in edit it, we'll edit it in later yeah sweet all right on to the next question where is it beer. yeah you <coughs> do. okay so this name is like i think it's storm collins and for me, the only people I know called Storm are from the hood, but this is spelt like some Irish spelling, so I'm fucking real yeah, Storm's confused. an Irish name as well. Oh, is it? Mm. It's a cool name, anyhow. Kia ora. Not to <clears> subject <throat> you all to some old man columnist type shit, but I was wondering how you guys weigh up corporate platforms like Spotify and other entertainment streaming services. Do you feel guilt using things that don't directly support artists I feel strongly about supporting local artists and buying their shit, but I feel like the physical artifacts that artists put out are becoming more awkward and obsolete due to shit being made so much more accessible through corporate entertainment. Paradoxically, I feel that entertainment through streaming services are almost too accessible to the point that I become desensitized to the creative work that I end up mm. consuming fucked up cycle way. If you have some time, I'd love to know what you guys think. Thank heap, thanks heaps for the content. It makes my day tuning out from my thoughts and listening to you guys elegantly ramble. Cheers. Damn. Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I totally agree on the, on the part about um, like streaming and everything just basically being free now. It's like, do you know like albums will come out with artists that I love and I'm like, oh yeah, listen to it a couple of times and forget about it. And and even yeah. like the other day I got in the car and I was like, sweet, what am I going to listen to? And I just couldn't even think of anything because I was just like... What um, do I even like now? Yeah, but I've noticed though that like since I've been making books and selling them and stuff, like people definitely do want physical objects and do really like having physical objects as well. And yeah. I do wonder if it's kind of like a reaction to that to some extent. Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's what is art, right? It's like a big part of it is about connection, you know, like the artist is seeking some sort of connection and the listeners seeking some sort of connection. And um, and those physical things used to be part of that connection. Now they're missing and the, the connection's not as, you know, visceral anymore. But, like, but do yeah, you like, get things like podcasts, though, which are, which are not really art as such, but then... Really, Not podcasts ours. are all about connection. Yeah, ours is art when Dan leaves out the theme music. So. <laughs> oh. Is this is this the David Lynch episode? You roll the dice. Oh, <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get with Dan. But yeah, like this this question, I relate to like everything in it. I couldn't put it so eloquently, but yeah, th it feels like yeah, I definitely feel the sense of loss with like how music is consumed now and not just music like uh film and television and everything like i do have this nostalgia for the way we used to consume those things like re-watching the sopranos the other week when it first came out the first season i watched with my stepdad and you know every wednesday night or whatever it was would come out and we'd watch the episode and then we'd wait a whole week mm. for the next one and it was real fucking exciting and with music, you know, you'd check the CD store. I lived in New Plymouth, so everything would always be late and it wouldn't be there on the release day. 
So you go into the re- record store on consecutive days, like trying to find this album. When you finally got it, you'd be like looking at the cover the whole way home. And then you'd get home and you'd put it on and it was like this experience. And now it's just like, ah, oh, what's new? Or it's like, it's just far less special, I guess. I do wonder though, um, and I mean, I'm sure this is probably happening, but just because I'm old, I don't fucking know. But um, all these young people now, they're growing up with access to all the music ever made pretty much for free. I mean, surely that's going to create new new things, you know, new art, new music, new yeah. sound, you know. Um, because that was the other thing is like, you know, you you sometimes you'd only have fucking four CDs and those are the four CDs you just listen to until someone gave you another one or whatever. Like, yeah. So it was quite limited. And I think in some ways that can make your style because, you know, limitations often, yeah, help make your style. But yeah, I don't know. But as far as supporting corporations, I mean, I think you kind of, the thing, I think, Obviously, it it sucks, and I think that it could be another way really easily. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you want to do that thing where you're like, which I've done in the past, where you're like, oh, I'm going to try and be outside of this system and structure which you have no means to be outside of. And so you kind of just end up in a situation <laughs> yeah. where you kind of just miss out on shit and feel bad about everything, um, which is not to say that you should revel in the sort of grotesqueness of capitalism and stuff, but at the same time, just be like, well, you know, I don't know. I feel like there's you just got to try and position yourself where you can and yeah yeah I, I, don't know. I think about that a lot though yeah i was super resistant to have my money uh my money <laughs> my music on spotify mm. and i resisted it for a long time and it just got to a point where it's like well people are missing out on my music and i'd rather they have it and i get a pittance for for what belongs to me and I mean, like, fuck. The longer you do music, the more you, the more you get used to feeling fucking like shat on. And but it's the thing, man. It's like, not like record labels are not fucking people over anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. it's all the same shit. And mm. like Dom said, like that's a real important point. Is like, yeah, you can be resistant and fucking not participate, but that just kind of leaves you in a worse position. So yeah, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot too much. Sometimes <laughs> it's all right. Maybe well, once a month. You, what do your feet look like, Dom? Swiss <laughs> yeah, cheese. Oh, man, I just did some shooting in the feet the other day. Anyway, Go what's man. the next question? Next question comes from Sean Dudson. Oh, wait. Oh, okay, yeah, no. Nah. Sorry. Next question comes from Sean Dudson. Kia ora. A couple of random questions I'd be keen to get your take on. In a recent interview, you were asked about the current state of New Zealand hip-hop, which you glossed over quite quickly. And you also recently mentioned that you don't listen to a lot of music anymore. Why do you think you have grown away from hip-hop, or is that something you prefer to only talk about with people who are actually in the scene? And do you look on your part, do you look on that part of your life with pride, following in the legacy of songs like Etu and Chains? Breaking Rex Unheard helped create a modern blueprint for political hip-hop in New Zealand which was launched even further by Tom and Tourette's on Listen to Us. Yeah, boy. Do you think, think hip-hop is still important in spreading that message and connecting with the youth in New Zealand? And do you see yourself continuing to be involved in that message? Bishop is a school principal. Jared is a union rep. Dom is one of the premier poets of New Zealand. Yeah, motherfucker. Louis has Sean knows own, what's up. <laughs> Louis has his own company helping youth, and Dan is an arsonist. Where did it all go wrong for Dan? Keep up the good yarns. Cheers, Sean. 
Where did it go wrong? Well, Dan's Dan? actually a homeowner, Sean. He might be an arsonist, but he's also a homeowner. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I don't. I mean, I just, I'm old. Just really, I'm. Yeah. I mean, I, I started making hip hop or started writing rhymes when I was eight, and I'm 42 now. So, that's a. You know, I think you get to a point where I, and I also, I think I found my ceiling as a rapper, and I just felt like, I don't know, there were other things I wanted to do creatively that I couldn't do. Yeah. As a rapper, like it wasn't the medium for that, and um, well, you really kind of blossomed once you like started to branch out, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can, you can <laughs> a, Do you not like the term "blossomed"? Give me a very strange look. No, I mean, I think that, but at the same time, because I, I, I don't know, I was like quite, you know, always quite down on my on my rap career, or if you want to call it that, or you know, yeah. and but then. You know, um, you, you know how when someone but else then, does like it someone someone sent me a song someone sent me um a song of one of my albums the other day I was like oh, fuck this is quite good so I went back and listened to the album I was like fuck this is what was I complaining about and then like I was thinking you know like that Dance to Misery album how much it sold and shit and it's like mm. actually it's, it's actually fine it was just that I think that like we were in this weird position where social media wasn't what it is now we didn't have the control and so you were just constantly relying on outside forces and. Yeah. I don't know. Also, also, Wa left me. If Wa didn't, my hype man Tewa, he um, left like right before my, but my most successful album came out, and I, yeah, yeah, magnum opus. Mm. Yeah, I wasn't saying your music was shit or anything, but you know how, when you're making rap music, and you go see someone else perform or make, or create in a different art form, and it's super impressive to you because you don't understand the process. I mean, like. That's when you started doing different stuff and I'd see you do it, I'd be like real blown away. Like, wow, that's incredible, you know? Mm. I, think I think also like you, just because you're doing something, it doesn't mean that you necessarily find where it fits. And, you know, as an artist, like that's something I've definitely, I've definitely realized in my old age. Like, you know, I always used to think, oh, if you just work hard enough and you have the talent, you're going to find how the pieces fit. But it's just not necessarily true. Like... um, and yeah. I see it all the time with my students. Like some of them have just got so much talent, but they just can't quite, they haven't quite figured it out yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's a long fucking process, right? If, if, if you really want to create something unique and individual, that's a really long process. And it's quite a thankless one in general. And I think yeah. that's the other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Hell yeah. Mm. But no, Dan I mean, I, I don't, I just, I don't really listen to much hip hop, but it doesn't mean that I'm not, like I still kind of relate to it and I think so much of what I do is informed by that and my attitudes around um, making art and the way that I make art and the way that I perform and the way that I structure all that stuff is totally f from hip-hop and like, yeah, you know, like I still feel connected to it. It's just like I don't really listen to it if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, I, I listen to rap music predominantly still and... Like, I still have this slight desire to make it. Like, I nearly start. I started working on a project earlier this year and I got quite excited about it for a couple of weeks. And yeah. then, like, the emotions I was experiencing at the time passed and then so did my, <laughs> so did my motivation. Um, I was actually going to do a project with the, the producer from Fortunes. Oh, awesome. If people oh, are f familiar with them. Yeah, it would have been quite cool. Still could happen. Who fucking knows? But... um. 
Yeah, like I listen to rap and I listen to like real. I listen to like I the kids I work with. I know most of the music they listen to. In fact, oh, that like, must I be can, a big help. Yeah, because I, I, I have no idea what anyone's fucking talking about. Yeah, I can put them onto stuff that that's current that they don't know. So I'm still like real a, a massive fan, and I listen to like real stupid rap like today i was in my car and i was listening to the song by this guy adam killer called fart on me and <laughs> and he's like he's like in the hook he says i like it nasty fart on me and then does like an ad lib of a fart noise and so that's where my dignity and maturity is at at 40 years old so for the like, listeners we used to go on tour and then todd just make me listen to shit like that just for hours and I'm just like fuck man and the thing is that we like some of the same artists but he refused to listen to any of them it's always just like yeah. just some well, you know who I'd, you know who I'd rather be I'd rather be the guy listening to fart on me than like the 40 year old podcaster listening to fucking run the jewels oh I don't, I don't mind run the jewels run the jewels fucking suck it's for nerds fuck run the jewels <laughs> is this a personal attack on who on me no it's more of a <laughs> i'm joking i'm on. joking no um <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know i'd rather that lp was making solo music but um or anchor yeah, like actually yeah i like both of them as solo artists run the jewels is fucking boring it is it's sort of like both of them are comp but it often happens when people collaborate both compromise to find the yeah. middle ground but yeah, i think one thing that like yeah i think of course like um, coming back to the question about like whether what was it like that hip hop has a, yeah and I, I, there's always going to be there you know like um, and I think that that's what's fucking dope about hip hop is that you have to have like even if you're just making like that mumbly fucking weird shit like there's still there's there's still a point of um, what's the word there's still a, you still have to be at a certain level to partake, and I think that that's important. And you know, I mean, I think that being involved in other scenes and communities where it doesn't have that, and I find it so fucking frustrating that any fucking bozo can get up and do it, and should <laughs> and is allowed to do it. I'm like, nah, man. Like, yeah. it's not like you should never be allowed it, but you you should spend you know fucking five ten years in your bedroom getting good at it before you subject other people to that. Yeah. Um, and that, as, I think, as, yeah. As much as as much as rap music gets diluted in the mainstream, there's like millions of artists from like backgrounds that has provided them with the proclivity to toward rap music, right? And those people were always going to exist, and their existence and their voice in itself was political. Like people from from those places and marginalized people and whatever the fuck they're talking about their existence and their platform is political and important and i think for that reason i always love that music hard dan you dan still works in music mm. the maniac yeah man sorry no, it's fine. Fucking B Dub Studios. If any any aspiring rappers out there want to send some demos to Dan, oh that's right. We used to try and promo it on the first season, eh? Yeah, we should. We still doing it. Fucking Dan doesn't give a fuck about COVID restrictions. He's still going hard, having strangers up in there coughing yeah. all over the mic. Yeah. Roll up and 
roll yep. up and dance. I master. still haven't cleaned the pop guard in like 20 years. Oh my god, it used to smell so bad, man. It's mm. not my problem. Because of you, Dom. Me? Fuck. Yeah. I reckon there were other culprits that might have been... Um, I reckon Tyson yeah. might have played a small part in that. No offence, Tyson. Hey, Dan, speaking of art projects and turning this podcast into one, you should just get the... Um, Grab some audio tracks from those noises Dom makes when he's recording. I was like, just thinking about that, like, in between <laughs> BBs. Yeah, yeah. The little, like, groans. Yeah, people want some art. Okay. All right, next question. This one comes from Jackson Lester. Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Hey, bros. want to say big up for the guests you've had on the show so far. It's been a good spread of interesting characters. Particularly enjoyed the Tom Scott feature and the discussion around what it's like to be a full-time creative in New Zealand. What a strange time to be living in, Ari, the pandemic. It's been dope to hear your insights each week and to know the world isn't just full of arseholes. We are arseholes, I can assure you. Um, Maybe a point of discussion, if it hasn't already been covered, is how you guys see the world playing out over the next six months, year, two years, once everyone has lost their jobs and the thin facade of our capitalist economy starts to fade, how do you think the world will adapt both generally and in terms of creative industries evolving to stay afloat? Cheers, Jackson. Holy shit, I've had too many beers. That's a hard out fucking question. Yeah, I might be a bit pissed too. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, Part of me feels that there's a chance that we're going to have another like a depression and everything's going to be fucked and people are going to be eating their shoes. Um, part of me feels that things might just continue kind of like how they were, but a bit worse. Um, and so that the bottom of society is truly fucked and the middle class are a bit more fucked and then the rich are just the way they was. But then I guess the third part of me and, and the, I guess the thing that I hope happens is that people have seen from being at home that maybe their job, they don't need to go to the fucking office to do their job, or maybe their job doesn't even fucking matter, and that the government can just give them money, the government can just put homeless people in houses, um, can just do these massive changes at a click of a finger, and that we demand that they continue to do that. I mean, the fact that the minute the fucking lockdown went up, everyone went to McDonald's doesn't fill me with hope, but, um, <laughs> There's, you know. Yeah, I don't have a great sense of how things are going to play out, and I'd feel like I listen to what people way smarter than myself and they don't have a great sense of it either, so I can take some comfort in that. But there definitely does seem to be an opportunity here with all that people have learnt over this time about what is valuable, what matters, uh, what people's labour is worth and, fuck, I hope that sticks somehow. I can't help but be real bummed out that, like, Corbyn got sabotaged and to mm. become leader in the UK and that Bernie Sanders got sabotaged in the States because if Corbyn was the Prime Minister of the UK right now and Bernie Sanders was going against Trump in the States, then as like pretty big Western nations, that could have predicated some massive change around the world. Like I saw, saw Ardern yesterday, I think, talking about the possibility of a four-day working week mm. uh, post-COVID. So there's these ideas that used to seem like a fantasy dream world before that people are entertaining and like politicians, like big public figures are entertaining. Well, the UBI, now. the Universal Basic Income in yeah. Spain. I mean, that's just... I mean, yeah. People have been talking about that shit forever. And the thing is that 
I remember people talking about in the 90s, like my dad and his friends and, and, and Lubin and those people, and they and it just seemed like, you know, this amazing idea, but that could never happen. And, and now, it, I mean, it's, it's literally happening. And so it's... Yeah, I yeah, think I mean, there, there, there was hope. And, and for this podcast, like, if we want to fulfill what our ideal purpose is too, like, we need to do some thinking about, you know, we have a small listenership at the moment, but we're trying to grow it, but... We have an election coming up in New Zealand and we have people like Kaya Spark, who we had on the other week, mm-hmm. who is running against an uh, incumbent who fucking voted no on the abortion law reform bill. And, yeah. you know, there's these exciting young people with progressive politics who are beginning like, and so... Well, not just progressive, like actually radical as well, you yeah, know, like yeah. radical politics. Yeah, and so thinking of ways where we can support those people and get behind them and campaign for them is, um, like, I think very crucial at the moment because those people are thinking about the future and this moment. They truly grasp it and they have fucking fresh ideas rather than the stale old bullshit we've been subjected to. Hard out. Can you put the sound of, like, a gong there, Dan? Okay. Just make a note of it. You, you never do it. You never do it. You just toy with my emotions. Look, you don't gong. give a. F- you don't give Listen. a fuck. Are you doing a gong live? No, no. I just typed gong. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. I thought you were going to do a live one. I was going to go. All right. Mm. Yeah, Dan needs a soundboard like those fucking um, radio DJs in the states. You should hook up the machine since that's your name. All right, we're getting getting towards the end of this. We got a oh. few short. Right. <laughs> well, we done. Oh, right, did come you? on towards. But this this is perhaps. How long has this oh. been going for, Dan? Hour and ten. Oh, oh. oh good. Because you got to edit out the bit where Todd had a person in the bit where I um started um, neoliberalism with the most complicated part of it. Yeah, edit out the bits where I sounded stupid as well, please. Yeah. Okay. Replace <laughs> replace them with like some art music. Or can um, you just <laughs> fill in for Todd and make him sound smart? Yeah, please. Yeah, sure. Edit that out and post. Um, from Nomad Max, and this is on Instagram. Just a reminder: in future, your questions from Instagram won't count. It'll be patrons only. Uh, discuss. But I love this one. Discuss which season of The Wire is your favorite, and rate the cast top ten. Um, We've had so much mail about people saying, "Please do a series on The Wire on the podcast." There's actually a podcast that's already doing it though. Like, is that well done? It's really well done because fuck, it's good down in the hole, and the the oh, listen to the first episode. Yeah, you? and so it's so like um, African American man and woman, and they they didn't grow up in Baltimore, but they grew up in the hood in like Detroit and New Orleans, and so they have right. lived a life, so they can sort of relate to it. I suppose we could offer a different perspective. I guess is um, you know. White guys Parking from New Zealand. from the into the earth. But, um... <laughs> yeah. Did I, did I mention the other week how they, like... Is it the last... Oh, it's one of the last seasons and they changed the theme song and it's like that rock and roll version? Fuck, it's awful. Can't believe yeah. such a such a good show. I don't can, know why like, they just didn't keep the Tom Waits one the whole time. Yeah, that was fine. That would have worked for me. Um, best season... Like, what's, I don't know, man. I've, uh, I'm really torn between three and two. Because three's like the one where everything sort of comes together and... Yeah, I guess yeah. it's three, but then there's something about two 
that I think was really um, it wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the show it is if it didn't have season two. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a comeback effect because do you remember how thrown you feel at the start of season mm. two? Because you're like, where's like, all? What the fuck is going on? Yeah, what yeah. did you do with all my mates? Where are yeah. they? Um, you and real worried that it's just going to be a fucking. Uh, Coast Guard series. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, man, I hate water rats. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I... Fuck. I'm gonna... Because Four's heartbreaking now being like... We, when we talked about this other episode, yeah. but being a youth worker and watching that shit and just like, man, like... Yeah. Four and five are real. season's pretty real fucking good. good. What yeah. is? The, the last, last season. season. Ah, see, that's my worst. Mm. That's my worst. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with three. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with four because I like fucking. I don't feel much these days, to be honest with you guys. <laughs> I mean, these days. <laughs> um, so season four, I like had a lot of feels and like bubbles getting and beaten was, up and. Oh man, yeah. I want to kick that guy's ass. The guy that keeps beating up bubbles. What He's about? Pretty big. I reckon you need Dan to help you. But he's a crackhead though. Remember when we were fighting that giant guy in Melbourne and then I got on his back and you were still fighting him and he was so big that I couldn't even... He's just still fighting you with me on his back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was incredible. And then he hit me with a... What are those things called? It's like the things that you the, um, that hold up the the red rope. that, that You know, like the yeah. velvet rope. That's he hit him heavy. With that. And he hit mm. him with the bottom of it. That shit's real fucking But heavy. then the bouncer helped us by throwing him on the ground and then everyone stomped he, on him. Like the things that uh-huh. hold the velvet ropes, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. He, he picked, picked one, one of those up and hit me sh- with me on his back. And I'd done one jujitsu class at that point and I was trying to remember how to <laughs> choke him and it was like, I said, this way or that way. And <laughs> you need to do more than one jujitsu class before I, I you I told can... you, I told you not to fight him. We were in the alleyway and I was just like, because we were on ecstasy and I was having quite a good time. Yeah. Seems like a weird decision to make to like initiate a physical the fucking stoush. mountain from Game of Thrones. Yeah, when you're high on um <laughs> ecstasy. But he'd been real mean to our friend Mish, so Yeah, no, nah, he deserved it. Yeah, he'd been horrible. Um We sh- we showed him. Oh cast members, top to ten. I've got one. Have you got anything, Dom? Well, I mean number one's always gonna be Omar, right? Oh, I no, not for Who's me. Who's your number one? I was like, I'm a contrarian, and I was like, yeah, it's Omar. And then I was like, actually, mine's Bubbles. I fucking love that. But then guy. how can you like level season four if it's Bubbles? Because then it's like Bubbles. Oh, it just breaks but my I like, heart. But I like, you know, I like feeling for him. Yeah, nah, kind of, Bubbles. Nah. The emotional attachment. Do should I, should I go through my list and you can like pick it apart? All right. So, so I got you've an bubble. actual list. Yeah. Right, people have taken the time to write us, Dom. So I like put a look, I took a moment today and I made a list. Bubbles first. He's beautiful and his plight is so um, tragic. Omar second. That's pretty obvious, right? Um, McNulty third. And when I was going McNulty through this, McNulty third. Yeah, just I love how. Do you feel like you must feel an affinity to McNulty? I just love how much of a fucking train wreck he is, and he kind of like, I don't know, he has this weird sense of nobility, but it's kind of bullshit. But it's just like all he knows. And then this this line stuck out to me when I was thinking of this, and it's the line where McNulty says, 
feels like I'm just a breathing machine for my dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. Um, now I can't read my thing. That's the name of the episode, Dan. Yeah. Fourth one, Snoop. I just thought... Yeah, nah, Snoop's... No, see, Snoop need, Snoop's higher than McNulty for me. I like... You know who I really like mm. is the other... The African-American cop who's not Carver. The other one. Who's always getting oh. the shit detail? Walter. Who's, who's on? Oh. Nah, the one that's onto it. But he's the young dude as well. Oh, oh yeah. But you don't really know his name, eh? Yeah, you do know his name. What the fuck is his name? Do, he's do in you there mean all the, the real? Do you mean the real affable? The handsome chap? one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. Like the one that, that serves the dude serves Clay Davis at the end. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. What's what's his name? Fuck knows. Anyway, that motherfucker. He's he's. I really like. I really like his character because he's kind yeah. of like. You know, he's always kind of put upon and, 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 you know, and you can tell that he's kind of a bit brilliant, but he's just, yeah. he's never going to probably, it's never going to be realized because of the way that the fucking police department's structured. Yeah. Maybe we should do a fucking wire rewatch yeah, podcast. Perhaps. I'm into it. Um, this is going better than I thought it would. <laughs> so Snope, for obvious reasons again, but, and her backstory is real cool as well. Uh, number five, I have the big boy bunk. Because... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. See, see, I think um, you have a lot in common with Bunk in some ways, Todd. Yeah. You're like a cross between Tony Soprano and Bunk. Yeah, I like that. I could fucking live with that. Number six, I got, and this is like the same as my Bubbles pick, but Dookie, Daquan. Oh. Um, and like, if you've ever lived in state housing, you will have known a kid like Duquan mm. or Dookie and that's why I fucking love him and and his story's heartbreaking as well, man. Fucking hell. Um then my next one is like Mike, because he's just kinda like surrounded by all these idiot kids and he's like real clever and onto it. And whilst that serves him well in a bad way, I know. I just love I won't how- say his name, but he reminds me a lot of oh, yeah. what's that then? I know. Of one of the kids that we work with. I, I know the person work you're with. talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's he just... He also so, does like the full circle of the show. Like, mm. Mm. brings it back around. Mm. <coughs> so, Mike's the fucking man. He's so fucking staunch as well. Mm. Then I got... And this is a character that really takes some time to grow on you in the series, but Bodhi... Because you don't really mm. give mu- you don't really give much of a fuck of, about Bodhi through... And then he, he kills Wallace... Like early on, and, huh? He's a bit of a dick sometimes, though. Yeah, but then remember at the end, and he's like, he wants to fight for his corner, and they're telling him to stand down, and he's like, nah, oh, yeah. I'm gonna fight for this corner, and then you're like, oh shit, Bodhi's like got heart. Mm. Um, he has a great arc. Mm. Next one, I feel like this might be a, this one might get picked apart, but I really like Hook. Which one's Hook? The, the, big, the, big, the big dopey white cop. Oh, he's like Hook. <laughs> yeah, I don't the know. Bald, the bald guy. Yeah, because he's a big dipshit, oh, and he's uh, just, he's just. I, his dynamic with Carver is real good. Um, which. So you haven't. What about Avon? Oh fuck. Yeah, no. Marlo. I do like um, Marlo. I don't like Marlo. Marlo can fuck off. He's, he's a character. He's, he's a only, fucking charmless psychopath. Yeah, but I kind of like that about him. No, I don't have my no, life. See, I like, I like mm. Avon because he's, he's a charming psychopath. Like, it, it make yeah. my charming 
my psychopath's charming, you know what I mean? Mm. What about Cuddy? Cuddy's the man. Yeah, yeah. Cuddy's dope. Also, Slim was another good one. Yeah, Slim Charles. He's fucking cool. But, um, yeah, Herc was my nine. Now I'm oh, reconsidering shit. that now that you guys... What about Weebay? Nah. Yeah, Weebay's awesome. I doesn't like Weebay? Doesn't Weebay like, remind you a little bit of Rory? I don't like Weebay. Weebay's yeah, got one of the best scenes in the whole fucking yeah, that series. Weebay's uh, awesome. You don't like Weebay? Uh, not, not particularly. Oh, come Cause, on cause, Mainly because of his stupid son. And... <laughs> You can't blame a man for his son. He's in prison anyway. Yeah. He, he hardly raised him. My na- my num- my number ten though is um Ziggy. Ziggy got in there. Oh, real? Yeah. He fuck it, man. Fuck. See, I feel like Dan's 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 choice. Ziggy buys a, a duck. Different. Ziggy buys a duck and gets a lead for it. But he kills it. See, yeah, he had me when he bought the duck, but then he bloody kills the duck. Mm. You know. It's a, this Frank's a, this not a, in there. Who? Yeah, Frank Sabotka. Yeah, yeah, I do. What love about the Greek? You don't, you don't like the Greek? Nah, fuck the Greek. Love me a bit of Frank Sabotka. Should we finish that segment just by saying it feels like I'm just a breathing machine for my dick again? <laughs> <laughs> poor McN- poor McNulty. Um, on to the next question. Uh, what does your girlfriend think you're doing right now, Dan? This. She knows what you're doing. Talking about the wire. Oh, we we had a second question from Adam that we'd already answered, but he kind of asked how we got into working with young people. But last one, this is from Oscar Reggio, who happens to be a really handsome young man from the South Island. I know. Um, Mark Kozlik was an ass at his Wellington show last year, but it was kind of entertaining. Most of the audience had left by about three quarters of the way through. Questions one. Can Todd please tell the Dizzy Rascal story? Yes, I can. Two, Dominic, how do you feel about people reading your poetry versus seeing and hearing you perform it? I enjoy reading it way more when I can clearly imagine how you deliver it. Thanks, guys. It is legit one of my favorite podcasts, even if it did spoil the end of Sopranos for me. Guess that teaches teaches me for waiting for a pandemic to watch it. Yeah, you did. You did. You did wait a while, Oscar. Did did we spoil it, or did I spoil? Yeah, it? Yeah, no, you had out. I, I remember when you were saying. Yeah, I told you when you were saying it. Dies. You talked about yeah. the end, or whether he not, whether or not he dies. I guess I just figured everyone had seen it. Sorry, Oscar. I'm fucking <coughs> like this is an actual sincere apology. I'm sorry because. Oh, shut up! You're just drunk now. What's the question? Um, you, your poetry. Does he rascal? Oh, does yeah, Rascal? Oh yeah. It's not that interesting actually, but it was funny at the time. But we're just we're opening for Dizzy Rascal and it was just after Boy in the Corner came out. I think he would have been like eighteen, nineteen years old. And we're in the back room. I was a lot a lot more brash in those days. I'd never do something like this now, perhaps. Um excuse me. And we so we got I'd seen his writer as we went through and it was like quite extravagant. And we got to this tiny backstage room. There's like 10 of us in there. And we had like one bucket with beers in it, which was quickly consumed. So I was like, all right, we need more beers. So I went to Dizzy's uh, backstage room and the door was closed now. So I just like music was playing in the venue. So I banged quite loud and just opened the door. And I went in and him and his DJ, that guy, would, he has one arm, eh? His DJ. Mm. He's missing an appendage. Um and they kind of like were quite stunned at my entrance, the way I kind of busted in 
and looked at <coughs> they were like, you safe, man, you safe. I was like, yeah, yeah, all good. I just came in to say hi. And then they were real Can nice. Can you steal your beers? Yeah, they were real nice. And we took a photo. Dizzy Rascal had a hat, uh, hat on over a towel on his head. And they let me take some beer and eat some food. And yeah, it was cool. Dom, your then porch. We a, then we did a terrible fucking set. Did we? Was <clears> it bad? It was so bad. Oh, I can't remember, thankfully. We were so drunk. And none of the beats were mastered. And everyone was just like, what the fuck? And then we went to that weird bar on Victoria Street afterwards and just got... Wasted and I think there was a fight Anyway <laughs> I think that's when Roy Stepped those guys out For this tim- That guy was picking on Josh And then Roy Stepped him out For the Timberlands <laughs> Good stuff Poetic justice yeah. What was the question? It was Do you feel weird About people reading Your poetry Wait sorry I'll go back to it Specifically Dom Where is it? Dominic how do you feel about people reading your poetry versus seeing and hearing you perform it? I enjoy reading it way more when I can clearly imagine how you deliver it. Um, it depends on the poem because there's some that are written more for the page and there's some that are written more to be performed. But I mean, I love performing. Like, that's the thing I probably like the most. And I think it's quite satisfying after spending you know weeks or months writing stuff and then you get to actually speak it to people and and also like the cool thing about performing with poetry even more so than music i found is that you never know what the reaction is going to be so i've written things in the past where i've been like ah that's all right and you do it and people just fucking love it and vice versa and yeah no i love love, actually this year i was meant to do some insane amount of shows pre-covid i was meant to tour uh, australia and europe but um you know, all good. Now Get to you do this podcast and said just the same. Now you're having a big old break. I actually yeah. like <coughs> my nice gestures are few and far between, but when when I do them, they're real meaningful. And Don was supposed to come here, and I went out and I bought this enormous tub of peanut butter because he loves peanut butter, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't wait to fucking show Dom the enormous tub of peanut butter, and then he couldn't come. So next time, fucking bullshit, but. Maybe when they open the bubble up. All right. Yeah, so Sweet. that that, that about, it wraps it up. That fucking marathon. That was a long one. So, How long you, was that, Dan? Uh, hour and a half, give or take. Jesus. <sighs> Let's go. Okay, so just to reiterate, this is the only bonus episode that is free to all. From now on, it'll be for patrons After only. After this, you got to pay, pay, pay. <laughs> Thank listen, you. listen, listen. Thank you so much for the questions. It's actually like... I've been looking, or we've been looking forward to this, like a chance to actually interact with the audience. It's quite refreshing because uh, sometimes it does just feel like, ah, oh, you know. Just talking to Dan. <laughs> yeah. Listen to us. Talk to Dan. Yo, Dan. Um, so thank you once again. We'll be back with the regular podcast next week and go to the Patreon, sign up $1 a month, do all that shit. Thank you for listening. Woo.